0: I'm not supposed to lift over like 15 pounds for a couple more weeks, so yes. Um, So this morning we're going to continue on in a short series on communication basics for Christians. Uh, I couldn't resist CBC, you know, for Christians. (laughs) Ha, 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 the other CBC. Um, I find things like that funny. I know that's probably not funny to anyone else, but that's my weird sense of humor, right? And um, this morning we're going to talk about getting the log out of our eye. And I want to encourage you this morning, if you have a Bible, to go to Matthew chapter 7. We're going to read that to start off with. Uh, Matthew chapter 7. There's also an outline in your newsletter this morning uh, to follow along with. So Matthew chapter 7, we'll be doing there. But before we do that, I want to just share a funny story uh, from a guy that uh, he's obviously had a bit of issue lately, but uh, Garrison Keillor, this is an old story, he said, meanwhile, the sermon ended and Pastor Inkfest talks about this brother in Lutheran church launched into prayer. Clarence tried to tear the check quietly out of the checkbook. This is why I believe in electronic giving. There's no worse sound in the sanctuary, he said, than a check ripping. Although from a pastor's perspective, well, whatever. At the prayer's end, as they said the Lord's Prayer, he eased the check out. And when Elmer passed to the basket, Clarence laid the check folded neatly in half in the basket. He bowed his head and suddenly realized that he'd written it for $3,000. He had written it with his eyes averted and he knew that he had written 4000 zero 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 on the short line and 4000 zero 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 on the long line, or 3000, zero sorry. Could a man sneak downstairs after church and find the deacons counting the collection and say, Fellows, there's been a mistake. I gave more than I really wanted to. He now felt fully alive for the first time all day and terrifically awake. He had given all he had in the checking account and a little more. Garrison Keeler, The Collection. This Pentecost, as we look at these things, I hope you are fully awake, terrifyingly awake this morning. We need to learn to live with others and... I preached this short series not only to you, but to myself. Last Sunday, you can find it online as well, we began to talk about the power of the tongue and some ideas that Scripture speaks about, the power of our words, that they do contain spiritual power that alter and, and can change things, or as God's call to Jeremiah said, to uproot, uh, to plant and to tear down, to, to these things that, that our tongue has power. And so often in a church... We shoot off our mouth and we forget and we, we read through James as well where James talks about the tongue being as a fire and uh, that we need to learn that this, this, this is something that has power in it. And what are we doing here at Pilgrim Church in terms of what we do with our words And as we work towards the desire to see God renew and revive and to to give our church a new sense of mission for a new season of life in him, we have to be careful because the enemy works not simply out there in spiritual forces of wickedness, as Paul talks about, but also right here on the tip of our tongues. That spiritual warfare also is in each one of our hearts. And so how are we using our tongues? How are we using our words? Jesus, of course, speaks about this as well. And so let's read Matthew 7, and then we're going to get into some application pieces here, some real practical stuff this morning on Pentecost and Victoria Day weekend. In Matthew 7, we're going to start in verse... Let me double-check, make sure I'm following. Yeah, Matthew 7, we'll start with verses 1 and go uh, go through at least verse 6 there. He says, "'Do not judge, so that you will not be judged. For by the standard you judge, you will be judged.'" That ought to just freeze most of us right in our feet right there, and we could have a whole prayer meeting around this concept. By the standard you judge, you will be judged. Let that sink in. And the measure you use will be the measure you receive. I read that, and I just want to repent right there. (laughs) And then he says this, Why do you see the speck in your brother's eye, but fail to see the beam of wood in your own? Or how can you say to your brother, and he means brothers and sisters in this context, leave me, let me remove that speck from your eye while there's a beam in your own eye? You hypocrites. The loving words of Jesus. You hypocrite, first remove the beam from your own eye, then you can see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not give what is holy to dogs or throw your pearls before pigs, otherwise they will trample them under their feet and turn around and tear you to pieces. We'll come back to that in just a second. But this morning, the big idea is that we need, in our communication and in dealing with sin and offense, we have to start with ourselves Scripture is so clear about this, that we begin with ourselves, and we never stop beginning with ourselves, no matter where we are on the journey with Jesus. We begin there. Now, of course, he's saying there is a place to engage with brokenness. There is a place to speak truth in love, but he's giving us some guidelines about what that truth is in love, so important modifier there, speaking the truth in love, some ways to actually approach that and do that practically. If we want to have authentic community in the church versus artificial community, we have to be willing to engage. We have to be willing to engage and go deeper. That's why home churches, home groups are so important and why the devil fights us tooth and nail to do things where we get smaller than the large gathering on Sunday. Why, there's always a wall to push through and it's often more than once, many times over and over because in those places, the potential for the dynamic loosing and binding power of the kingdom in our individual lives and community can happen in a way that is just so important for freedom. So this This idea of moving into authentic community requires that we really deal with offense and we understand conflict and we begin to think and use our words differently than we've been trained by our default family settings, by our default cultural settings, by our default settings in the world, but that we really see that the Scripture is speaking that there are different ways to engage. And it's weird that sometimes you can go through church and it never really registers that Jesus is actually teaching that we steward conflicts That we see conflicts as an opportunity and not as something to avoid but to engage differently as citizens of the kingdom of God and to demonstrate that to the world around us. This is dynamite stuff and we have to look at it and we have to engage it. Uh, if we just kind of sort of flip over and say, yeah, 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 that's there, move on, pastor, we miss the fact that this is about transforming how we do life as humans. This is the teachings of Jesus Christ, who has come and made claims universally on all people, everywhere, all times, forward and backwards in history, from his life on earth. And this is different than the default settings of the world and our cultures that we are given. And so, we want to dig into that a little more this morning. Would you pray with me, and we'll move forward. Father, thank you for your word, the living word that you have sent, the Lord Jesus Christ, the writings of the prophets, the apostles, we have as the written word. And thank you, Holy Spirit, for the one that illuminates the word to us and brings it again and again across time and culture and generations to apply it in our day. So come and illuminate the proclamation this morning of the word and the teaching portion therein. Father, I pray that you would work at heart change in each one of us, that we would leave here challenged with a next step to take in our lives, and that it would make a practical difference now and in the life to come, in Jesus' name. And if you're willing to, say amen. Amen. Also, I'm going to say a shout out to those that listen online. We have a few people I know that follow along and maybe others that will check in on this that are normally here as well. Uh, So we're glad you're listening as well. So this morning, we want to talk about this idea of getting the log out. And I'm going to borrow some from various authors. One that I think is really important is a guy named Ken Sandy. He's a Presbyterian Church in America guy. Great, great stuff. I've attended several of his seminars on peacemaking and personal reconciliation and all that good stuff. And so, when we look at this passage of Jesus' teaching, just keep this Matthew 7 kind of before you today, and we're going to look at the parallel sort of passage in Luke as well. But he begins with the traditional teaching from the Torah and of course, the traditional teaching was that traditional righteousness was, of course you judge. You, it's, the law is all about making judgments all the time. And so he begins with that about judging. And then he identifies a vicious cycle. He identifies the vicious cycle in that we often will begin to judge someone else without actually analyzing what's going on in this heart right here. It's easy for me to say what's wrong with you and what you're doing wrong, but what's going on here? And as a pastor working on revitalization, I know I'm doing a lot of that all the time. Thank you for your grace. (laughs) But I'm also hard on myself, mind you. If you knew what was going on in this mind and in this prayer uh, between the Lord, you you might say, ah, okay, Uh, take it easier on him. And he says, this vicious cycle that we we go and we judge and we go and we judge and we go and we judge. And then he said, but there's a way to break out of this. There's a transforming initiative in every one of these. There's triads in the Sermon on the Mount. And there's something like 14 different teachings where he identifies traditional righteousness, identifies a vicious cycle, and then he identifies a way to break the cycle. And these are sort of the aha spirit empowered breakthroughs of our Lord Jesus Christ and what changes how we live as humans that makes Christianity not simply some sort of religious system, but to throw away religion and to bring the freedom that God desires. And the transforming initiative is this. He says, instead of beginning with the righteous, traditional righteousness of looking at the list, and then instead of looking at yourself, you look at everyone else around. He said, you start by looking at yourself, and then you move into proper judgment, that there's a proper way to begin to make kinds of judgments, uh, but so often we miss it. And so the transforming initiative here is to Begin to look at yourself and to break out of self-deception. And so often we look at holiness and righteousness in comparison. Well, I'm not as bad as her. I'm not as bad as him. And Jesus tells us that doesn't matter. You're not being measured against him or her. You're there to be for them and to help them flourish, and in finding their flourishing, you will flourish. If you want to measure yourself against someone, you measure it against the righteousness of Jesus Christ, and then you throw yourself at the mercy of the cross and say, thank you, Jesus, for taking on all of the brokenness of all creation, including mine, and for disarming the powers on the cross, and standing in my place, and, and declaring that evil has been overthrown. Thank you, Jesus. But when we stand in the judgment seat over our brother and sister in the world around us, the cross gets removed from that picture and we actually are fulfilling the ancient temptation of Adam and Eve which was determine in themselves truth and falsity instead of relying on God. But that's another sermon for another day. And so this morning we look at this and Luke, let me read to you a little bit from Luke. I'll read it from my printout here, Luke six thirty-six. Jesus says this again. He begins this statement, this te- teaching by Luke records, be compassionate just as your Father in heaven is compassionate. And then immediately, don't judge and you won't be judged. Don't condemn and you won't be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. And then he says this, which in Pentecostal land, we like to preach about giving, but it's actually about forgiveness. But, you know, forgiveness and giving, we tend to be stingy with both, right? Uh, And then he says, uh, moving on, verse 38, give and it will be given to you, a good portion packed down, shaken together and overflowing. It will fall into your lap. The portion you give will determine the portion you receive in return. Verse 39, Jesus also told them a riddle. A blind person can't lead another blind person, correct? Won't they both fall into the ditch? This is the ancient world, mind you. Disciples aren't greater than their teacher, but whoever is fully prepared to be like their teacher. Why do you see the splinter in your brother's or sister's eyes but don't notice the log in your eye? How can you say to your brother or sister, brother, sister, let me take the splinter out of your eye when you don't see the log in your own eye? You deceive yourselves first transforming a way of dealing with bringing about change in our lives. And when we see conflict and offense in the church, first start with the log in your own eye, then you will see clearly to take the splinter out of your brother's or sister's eye. This is powerful stuff. If you talk about things in the world, and often our corporate cultures and our 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 different thing that we see in advertising, and we, we, I mean, companies go out of their way to deny uh, anything. They don't want to pay a dime. They don't want to put. I mean, they try to deny any involvement. And yet, we're told as followers of Jesus Christ that we are not to be that way. And yet, we see it that everything we do is perfect, and everything we do is fine, and everything. And yet. The radical claim of Christianity is that you are deeply broken, but you are more deeply loved than you know it. But we try to act in reverse. We deny the brokenness, and so we don't experience the transforming love. And yet Jesus is standing with arms wide open saying, hey, come to me. The only thing I require is honesty. And even that step at a time, my grace is sufficient. While you're yet sinners, I died for you. Wow. So how then should we act towards one another if we've received such a great grace? And this is what he's teaching us practically before, mind you, before his crucifixion, the disciples hadn't yet experienced that, and he's teaching them these principles, these oh, principle is such a dulling word, it's it's a life-changing, radical, mysterious way of living, (laughs) these ways of being in the world. Kin Sandy gives us some interesting teaching, and I'm just going to touch on part of it this morning quickly. He says, when we deal with conflict, there are four G's that we will explore. He uses G to sort of start off each sentence. Number one is that in every conflict, 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, whatever you do, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. So, So the first thing in any situation where we're experiencing tension and conflict is how can God be glorified through this? Last time you had a fight with a friend or a spouse, did you think about how can God be glorified through this? Or were you taking tallies and tolls and comebacks? <laughs> Jesus shaped my thoughts before I opened my mouth. How can God get glory in this situation? How can I please and honor God in this situation? The second G that Ken identifies is get the log out of your own eye. Matthew 5, 7, 55, you hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye. We just read another translation, calls it a plank. There was a hard Christian band, metalish Christian band back in the day that was called Plank Eye. That's just a bit of trivia there. But anyway, you hypocrite, first take the plank out of your eye, and then you will see clearly. Get the law. We'll talk more about that in just a second. And then what we're not getting to this morning, but we will sometime in the future here at Pilgrim, is gently restore Galatians 6.1. Paul says this so beautifully, Galatians 6.1. I'm going to read it because it's so worth it. He says this, Brothers and sisters, if anyone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit... By the way, by saying that, he's sort of implying that there's a bunch of people always in the church that are living out of the broken part of their nature more than by the Spirit, and yet, maybe they're not aware of that, but he's saying, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. Oh, gently restore that person. He's saying when we see someone caught in a sin, we don't get out our Bible And a tar and the feathers, the biggest Bible you happen to have, electronic device will not do because you will not hit accordingly with proper strength and smack the person up, back, and over. He says, if anyone's caught in a sin, gently restore them. Gently. Would you say gently? I have a bit of the Mennonite. I'm, I'm a mix of things, but I certainly have Mennonite background in my family. And Mennonites felt that they came a long way when Christians stopped because they protested Christians killing Christians over doctrine. Yay, Mennonites. But then they kind of went back fully into the idea of shunning and shaming and passive aggressive behavior. I've noticed Canadian Baptists sometimes have some overlaps with Mennonites. I don't know how that happened, but um, I think, yes, there was a breakthrough in thou shalt not kill and actually applying it, yay, but it needed to keep going, mind you, (laughs) And this idea of gently restoring is important. And then he tells us why. If you can't get it from just an altruistic picture of Jesus and a picture of the cross and the death and resurrection and the power of the blood and all of that, he said, Paul says this in Galatians 1, 6, the last half, part B, he says, but watch yourselves or you also may be tempted because next time it may be you, buddy or sister. Gently restore because you... Want to be treated this way as well, yes? Gently restore. How can I lovingly serve others? Lovingly serve someone by helping them take responsibility for their contribution to this conflict. And sometimes we need help owning our part, whether it's sinful or just simply broken or influenced by sin, we might say. How can I help someone own their part in it in a gentle way? Now, there is a time, there's a time when there's such a level of brokenness in someone's behavior in a church where the elders of the church do need to do harsh discipline. If someone is doing something that's destroying covenant relationship or hurting other people's covenant relationship, I think that reaches that level. But very few things in the church actually reach that level. We're talking about most of the stuff that goes on day in and day out. And then the fourth G, if you're still with me this morning, is go and be reconciled. Would you say it with me? Go and be reconciled. And we're going to dig into that another time. But Matthew 5 speaks to this again, another part of the Sermon on the Mount earlier. Leave your gift at the altar. If your brother has an offense against you, go and be reconciled to that person. Then come offer your gift. And of course, he's speaking in terms of the the temple service before, obviously, Christianity was launched by his resurrection and Pentecost. But the, still, the principle is there: of you pause everything, stop doing your fake worship. If you're living in offense, you need to go through all of these things and do reconciliation. Then offer your gift. Paul says it again in, in the Corinth, like we said over communion, I was that two some weeks ago. He says to them, you think you're doing communion, but you're not doing communion because all of these unresolved issues are going on. And so the Lord doesn't even see this as the Lord's Supper. You can call it the Lord's Supper, but that's not what's happening. The prophets, God said, I despise your feast days and your fasts and your, all of it in your festivals. It's like a stench before my nostrils. Of course, playing on the words where all of that was supposed to be a sweet savor to the Lord of our incense and the prayers and the sacrifices. But if this is not right, because of slam the brakes on, and do the work of being different in how you handle conflict. James puts it this way, and I just want to read this and then a few more application pieces. James 3:18, he says, This peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. Are you a peacemaker? Or are you a peace breaker or a peace faker this morning in how you handle conflicts? Are you stewarding them? And remember, that all comes, a lot of it comes right down to our thoughts and then our words and actions that flow from these things. And so there's power. Commun- Christian communication basics is learning that we do our words and conflict differently than our default setting before we know Jesus. Amen? Okay. I like what Ath- uh, Athanasius of Alexandria a church father who was the patriarch of Alexandria, ancient Egypt. And he said this, you cannot put straight in others what is warped in yourself. You cannot put straight in others what is warped in yourself. To use a construction image, if your level isn't level, you can't level anything else, right? If your level is off, it's not going to work. So we ask first off, is this really worth fighting for? When we begin to look at a conflict you're in, or you're in a conflict, the first thing you have to ask as a believer is, is it really actually worth fighting over? Churches in decline have forgotten how to do this, ask this question. Is this issue worth fighting over? Or as I like to say, is this a hill you really want to die on? Is this issue worth it? And it doesn't have to be just in the church, but in our personal lives. We've forgotten the grid of the mission of God and why we're called to be, who we're called to be, to come alive in Jesus and to help others come alive in him, to turn from the brokenness of sin and destruction and dehumanization and to help people come alive in the love of Jesus. And that is the, uh, the unchanging, timeless message. But then when it comes to methods and means, we need to be infinitely flexible as we see in the New Testament, different approaches for different people in seasons and times. We see it even in New Testament times, let alone 2,000 years later. Am I dying on the wrong hill? Is this worth fighting over? When you're angry, you know that you can tell if it's worth fighting over and if you can overlook it or not by how it affects you. Now, whenever you're upset about something, the first thing, how can I glorify God in this? And then is it worth fighting over? Is it worth actually engaging? Or do I need to be able to, can I release this to the Lord? There are so many things where he just says elsewhere in New Testament, love covers a multitude of sins. If it's love and you can truly overlook it, then overlook it for the love of Jesus and all that he's given us. Overlook it. Proverbs talks about this. It's a glory of a man to overlook an offense. If you can overlook it, then that's the first thing you should do is overlook it. Now, don't tell yourself you're overlooking it, but you're still nursing it. Because then... You got to go on to the next stages of how do you deal with conflict with the other person or situation. If you're pouting, stomping, shooting dirty looks, if you're a child, if you're engaging in abuse and control and, and the other person or withholding affection or contact or sad or gloominess, refusing to look at them or abandoning the relationship altogether, you are not overlooking. That is not overlooking. That's peace faking. So then you have to move on. But if you can truly overlook it and release it, then do that. If you can't, then continue on with the journey of being a peacemaker in Jesus. Again, log removal. So let's get to the second G, and then I'll land this plane, just a few more things. The passage that we looked at in Matthew 7 does not say overlook correction, but that premature and improper correction needs to be dealt with in the church. And I think many of us just haven't seen enough loving correction in our lives We haven't seen enough of it, especially in the church. We've seen awful stories of the church. We've observed it. Maybe we've participated in them. But loving correction has not been a part of our popular culture in Canada and the States. We are either adversarial or we are avoidant. We flee or we fight. We let the amygdala brain, as the science tells us, kick in. And we either run from the situation or we just fangs out, teeth bared, clubs ready. (laughs) We're adversarial about it. Even I noticed in my background with uh, peace churches is that there are activists who in the name of peace will act like the devil with their tongues. Like There's a disconnect there between, okay, peace is a good thing, and there's a time for justice and and prophetic denunciation, but that time is not all the time, 100% of the time. (laughs) And you don't get to act like Satan in the process. So we need to understand with our role in removing the log... The second G in examining our role, we need to understand that maybe we have an overly sensitive attitude sometimes, so let's start with ourselves. Again, this is not to excuse abusive situations, this is not to excuse anything, but we do need to ask, am I being overly sensitive about this? Am I too easily offended by the other's behavior? Pastor, wear a red shirt this morning. Doesn't he know we're non-liturgical Baptists and that red is a symbol of Pentecost? And is he just trying to offend those of us that do not like liturgical things? Are you being overly sensitive? Ding, 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 ding. I didn't even think about the color of my shirt. But that's the type of thing where you have to ask. Am I being overly sensitive? Am I creating things that don't even exist in order to be offended? Oh, you know when that happens with some folks. Oh my goodness, they, they, they will find stuff. they will create things. That is not the work of God. That is the work of sin. Galatians 5 tells us enmity, strife, divisions, factions. If you're constantly looking to be offended, you may have an overly sensitive attitude that needs to be dealt with. A man went in to see his doctor in an acute state of anxiety, and he said, "Doctor, you have to help me. I'm dying." Everywhere I touch, it hurts. Everywhere it touches, I hurt. Well, it does hurt kind of here for me, but... (laughs) I touch my head and it hurts. I touch my leg and it hurts. I touch my stomach and it hurts. I touch my chest and it hurts. you got to help me, Doc. Everything hurts. And the doctor gave him a complete examination. He said, Mr. Smith, I have good news and bad news for you. The good news is you're not dying. Yay. The bad news is you have a broken finger. Are you... Overly sensitive. I like this. Let it go through. Okay, all right. You may have contributed to the conflict through your own sinful behavior is the second thing to consider. And when we define the issues, and I'm going a little slower than usual, but... Your own sinful behavior may have contributed. I, I want us to understand we're focusing on our part in a conflict. Is it worth fighting over? Am I overly sensitive? And the other thing to ask is, how have I contributed through my own sinful behavior? I'm not perfect. I make mistakes. I say that as a pastor. I'm not one of those old school pastors that's like all shined up and shiny show and got to live on a pedestal somewhere like... I am in this thing with you, folks. I am in a teaching office. I'm here to point you to Jesus. I'm here to equip you. But I am not here to replace Jesus in any way, shape, or form. You follow me as I follow Christ. And sometimes I'm not always following him, right? Because I'm in process too. Now, you need to be following more than not if you're going to be in the ministry, if you look at Titus and 1 Timothy. But the point is, is that we make mistakes. We have our own sinful parts in any conflict. Are we being honest about them? And that takes vulnerability and risk that the other person is not there yet. But as the old sort of percentage rule says, when you come into a conflict and it's 80% them, like 80% they're doing stuff that needs to be called out and dealt with in, in, in a kingdom way but needs to be named... But you got 20%. Sometimes we do this weird little math thing in our mind. We say, well, if they are 80% and I'm only 20%, if I subtract 20 from 80, that means that 100% of the problem is theirs and zero is mine. Look at that magical thinking right there. That's not kingdom thinking, though. You still have to own your 20%, 100%, all of it, in kingdom thinking magnify your 20%. See your sins, Matthew 7, as a log, even if in the calculus of the world it's 20%. See your sins as a log and see theirs as a speck. Minimize theirs, magnify yours, and then you will enter the conflict like Jesus desires you in order to change the ways of the world and to put on Christ when you enter into conflict situations and change the dynamics, and the power of the Holy Spirit can enter into that place, and God can receive glory. But, 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 but I know it's hard and your flesh. And let me tell you, we become masters at doing that math. It's 80% theirs, 20% mine. So if I take 20 from 80, it's 100% theirs. No, 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 no. That doesn't help you actually... See, creative things happen and new life burst forth. That's why we get in these weird arguments about justice and offense in our culture because we are unwilling to own our peace. And yes, that can be used sometimes and misappropriated, but if there's honesty and you're engaging in the relationship, then you actually can move forward. If you're using that as a ploy to run from engagement, then yes, it can be misused. But living in a constant state of offense and a constant state of minimizing doesn't help us move forward. The idea of killing and destroying the other side doesn't bring us to new justice. You cannot kill your way verbally or through all kinds of other means to peace. All it does is it creates cycles of payback and retribution. And if you look at the Middle East, it goes back forever and ever and ever. Jesus' teachings were radical. When Christians try to be peacemakers, that's when you begin to see glimmers of hope in places like Palestine and, and Christians in Israel that are willing to engage across the cultures. But not enough people would to God that the church, we would take this up. So finally, what do you need to do? You need to, be beyond these identifying your behaviors, you identify your aspects of it, but then you define the issues. What are the issues? What are the material issues? When we say material issues, we're talking about property, money, rights, responsibilities. What are the material issues in this conflict? Property, money, rights, responsibilities. And then what are the personal issues? What's going on between us? Our attitudes, our feelings that result from how we've been treating one another. You've got to name these. Again, start by magnifying yours, though, when you're engaging this with someone. And you may need a third party, depending on how long this thing has gone on. i got to read you one more story, and then we'll finish with these issues and takeouts. Several years ago, Millard Fuller, many years ago, in fact of Habitat, formerly of Habitat for Humanity, addressed the National Press Club on public radio, and he recalled a workshop at the Pittsburgh Theological Seminary with 200 pastors in attendance and the assembled pastors, Miller Fuller, who founded that they build homes across the world for people in poverty and and in different places, socioeconomically, to help people and, and, and new refugees. I've been involved in building those houses. In fact, he said, with 200 pastors in attendance, and the assembled pastors quickly pointed towards greed and selfishness, is the reason the church never had enough money to assist others creatively. And the Miller then asked the seemingly innocent question, is it possible for a person to build a house so large that it's sinful in the eyes of God? Raise your hand if you think so. All 200 pastors, hands shot up in the air. Too large. It's sinful in the eyes of God. Raise your hand if you think so. Okay, said Miller. Then can you tell me exactly... What size? I mean, the precise square footage a certain house becomes sinful to occupy. Silence from all the pastors. (laughs) You could hear a pin drop. Finally, a quiet voice spoke up from the back of the room. Must have been Canadian. When it's bigger than mine. He's doing the opposite Instead of magnifying his own stuff, he's minimizing it and saying, when it's bigger than mine, oh, dear Lord. (laughs) How are you dealing with material issues? How are you dealing with personal issues? How are you approaching them? I'm upset about your lying to me. She's stubborn and unreasonable. I don't like the way he always criticizes me. I'm sure he's trying to cheat me. So can we overlook them or not? If we can't, then we begin to define the issues and we engage. Again, this is talking about our part in it and we move on. I'm going to need to land the plane because I think my sickness is slowing me down or my recovery is slowing me down. There's more things we can say about how to overlook an offense. But let me end by asking these, these things. Uh, how we respond, we need to, we've talked about dealing with offense. If we can't overlook it, then we need to engage. And some are, what are our roles in it. But, but I want to add one more thing and then let you out. One of the things you can do when dealing with Offenses is checking your attitude. And I've already said this a little bit, but let me tease it out a little more. Our attitudes that may be overly sensitive or obsessing or dwelling on what others have done keep us from the peacemaking, active decisions that he calls us to, whether overlooking or engaging. And there's something we can do in spite of any circumstance we're faced with, and that's from Philippians 4. And we've talked about this many times is rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say it rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, but in every situation, you know it if you've been a believer for a long time, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the promise is this, the peace of God, which is not based on the current conflict or issue, and the peace of God, which is not based on how I am experiencing the circumstance, and the peace of God, which is a gift out of his overflowing grace, which transcends all understanding, will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. The peace of God will guard your heart and mind. And he says, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you've learned or received from me, put into practice, he says, and the God of peace will be with you. Paul doesn't spell out everything But we're called to work at peace with one another by Jesus, by Paul, throughout the New Testament. But let's check our attitudes as well going into conflict. Our God centered approach is that we rejoice in the Lord. There's a devil at work that wants to destroy relationships. He doesn't want us to see the unchanging character of God in our life, he doesn't want us to think and act like the Lord. Let your gentleness be evident. Replace anxiety with prayer. He says, see things as they really are. Instead of focusing on the negative characteristics of that person, focus on the positives. I don't like that pastor. He doesn't tuck his shirts in and he wore sandals last Sunday. But I think he loves Jesus. No, I know he loves Jesus based on the, what I can tell. Focus on the positives. Oh, that sister, She. I mean, you can obsess about the negatives or you can choose to be a believer and focus on the positives because they're still created in the image and likeness of God. And that Christ died for them because they're of invaluable, inestimable worth to him. And so I must shift my perspective. Even of the most vilest offender, I must shift my perspective. That doesn't mean we don't talk about boundaries and restitution, but, it, but in approaching conflict and dealing with it, I have to keep in my mind sort of the overarching theme, and they were created in the image and likeness of God. I don't know what's happened to them over their life to get them where they are, the way they are today, but I know that God desires that this is not their final state and that he loves them and wants to redeem and to change and to, cha- and to bring about new life even in them. How we handle conflict matters. What about my rights? Yes, we'll talk about rights. Not in this three weeks series, but will exercising my rights honor God by showing the power of the gospel in my life? If they will, then exercise them. I like how Paul was flexible about it with his Roman citizenship. He didn't always tout it, but sometimes he did when it would advance the claims of the gospel. When it would get him an audience before Caesar, he whipped out that citizenship card. Here it is, baby. Take me to Caesar. It didn't happen quite like that, I imagine. Will my rights advance God's kingdom or only my interest at the expense of his kingdom? Will exercising my rights benefit others? Is it essential for my own well-being, proper time to have boundaries enforced? But stewardship never means preserving everything you have but I love the pews, I will die for them. I'm quoting someone in this church, shall not name their name. Stewardship never means preserving everything you have. Refusing to lay down rights, that's a silly example, but there's real more bigger things. Refusing to lay down any rights or sacrifice any property for the gospel and peace is a notion condemned by Jesus himself. It all belongs to him, it's for his purpose. We want to gain maximum return for his kingdom here as pilgrim people. Yes, we want to protect ourselves and rights from wasteful sacrifices, but it also means willing to expend them willingly on spiritually profitable ventures. Seed must be sacrificed to reap a crop. Stand with me this morning. Let's pray as we wrap up this second part of the series. Matthew 7, do not judge... So you will not be judged. By the standard you judge, you will be judged. in the measure you use, it will be the measure you receive. Why do you seek the speck in your brother's eye, but fail to see the beam in your own? Transforming initiative. How can you say to your brother, let me remove it? Well, there's still a beam in yours. You hypocrite. First, first remove the beam from your own eye. Then you can see clearly. Magnify your own sins. And then you can begin to attack the other things. Let me pray, and then we'll worship and head out. Father, we have been wrestling with Christian communi- Christian basic communication. And last Sunday, we talked about the power of words that they do have authority, limited, semi-autonomous but real authority that we need to name and we need to own, both for blessing and for prophetic words of building, encouraging, and sometimes the task of naming sin, We're to do these things in love, and today we talk more about this idea of the log in our own eye, that we have to start with ourselves, really glorify God, and then turn and say, okay, where am I in this whole thing? God, I pray that our church, we'd begin to reap a different harvest, a harvest of righteousness, because we're going to sow to the Spirit, as Paul says, instead of the flesh. We're going to sow to that part that you are, you, you are desired, that we become fully redeemed one day, the Spirit that you've placed within us and your Holy Spirit working with that, that we would sow to that, that we would lead by those spiritual truths and we would begin to see real changes in the natural world because we're starting there. And Lord, I pray today that you'd continue that work in this body that we begin to people who are speaking life, and even on the day of Pentecost, we remember that your spirit wants to inspire words for even more creative works that go beyond just naturally aligning ourselves with you, but even the supernatural work of your spirit that produces things that go beyond, that multiply the power of your kingdom. And so, Lord, continue that work in our midst. Thank you for this holiday-long weekend here in Canada where we can just relax as well. But Lord, we remember that wherever we are, we are representatives of you as well. We take you with us. We represent you for good or ill all the time. So empower us with that knowledge and help us to rest in your grace. In Jesus' name, amen.